0: I don't know if you've ever, um, you ever been in an environment where you feel just like a, an outsider. That maybe showed up somewhere where you don't know the social cues, you don't know, you know the etiquette, the ways to speak and the ways to dress, and you just feel awkward, maybe even slightly ashamed. You're just so aware of yourself. For me, that place is the golf club. Now, I don't go golfing very often. I'd like to go a little bit more. Um, But I feel in the context of a golf club just at odds with myself. I don't feel at ease in my own skin. And I think it begins with the dress, the dress code. For those of you who aren't familiar with the golf, I'll try and explain a little bit about it this morning. But golf, in golf, there are... I think actually golf is more about how you dress than it is about how you play. There are very strict... Rules, very strict etiquette you're, you you've always ha- you always have to have a collared shirt. Certain clubs are very uh, particular on whether or not that shirt is tucked in or not, and you 're to wear shorts or trousers. certain people are very uh, particular about how high your socks are, and then you 're to wear golf shoes. Uh, and it goes on the list goes on and on and when I play golf it is obvious from the way I'm dressing that I am an imposter at least that's how it feels to me I feel like an imposter I've borrowed somebody's collared shirt or uh, this one which I got for my birthday uh, last last week Uh, I've borrowed a shirt that looks sort of halfway decent it's not a golf shirt and I feel like everybody knows I'm not wearing a golf shirt I've got some shorts, but they don't quite fit. I've got uh, some golf shoes that look like my, they're my dad's from the 70s because they are my dad's from the 70s. I look and feel like an outsider. And then, you know, I go to pay for the round and, and, um, and there's all kinds of things around. There's a Mars bars, Snickers bars, you know, they try and sell you before you go in the course. Because they know you're going to be out there a long time and you're going to need sustenance. And there's balls and I buy as many balls as I can because I know I'm going to run out of all the balls. However many balls I have, I will lose them all. And they know that too. So they make a killing from me there and get onto the first tee. And this is my experience of the first tee. There's always three groups waiting. So there's always 12 people at least, as well as the three people I'm playing with. That's 15 people waiting for me to hit my first shot. I have a few practice swings to look like I know what I'm doing. I have my first swing and it's an air shot. And I try and pretend it was another practice swing. (laughs) I settle down over the ball again and hope, I hope and I pray. And I tell you what, you have never known prayer. Until you have stood on the first tee with 15 people watching you. And uh, by the grace of God, at some stage, I'll make contact, usually with the top of the ball. (laughs) And if if you play golf, you know this. It just trundles along the fairway, a little (laughs) daisy cutter to get going. That is my experience of golf. It's it's horrid. It's horrid. It's painful. It feels embarrassing. Now, for many people, I think this is their experience, or at least their expectation of what their experience will be when they come into a church. You know, they know. We know, don't we? There are all sorts of unwritten rules about how you dress. You know, if you've grown up, maybe, with some kind of connection to church, maybe you go for a a wedding uh, or something like that. You know, you're supposed to dress up. So, so you know, so we dress up for church. Or, uh, but we don't know exactly how we're to dress. And different churches have sort of different dress codes. And we know as well that there are other cultural cues, like the golf course. Get in the hole. But at church, it's different language. Praise the Lord. You know. So every second sentence was to end with praise the Lord or Amen or something like that because we learned that at primary school. We know that there are cues and tips, but we don't maybe know. What they are. But the trouble with church as well is that there's this added sort of moral dimension as well. A spiritual and a moral dimension. So we come, if we're new to church, wondering, well, hang on, I'm supposed to believe something to be here, aren't I? Uh, and maybe, maybe there are questions that we have about, well, if they knew that I don't yet believe, or I'm asking questions, or I have real doubts, even though I've been here for decades, would I be welcome? and then maybe the moral questions as well the questions of well hang on if if people here knew what i was doing in the rest of the week the other 166 and a half hours what would it would be okay if i was here in this one and a half hours there are such a complex it's, if you're new here and you're not used to church let me say it's amazing you're here church is a minefield and you have my sympathy Do you fit in? Can you belong? Now, there are two possible responses to this quandary. And we face them, folks. I'm here to tell you at the golf club. And we face them at the church as well. And the first approach is what I like to call, fake it till you make it. Yeah. Get the gear. Buy the stash. Learn the language. Download the podcasts. Listen to the songs. So you know when to raise your hands in the air fake it till you make it you see people doing this on the golf club all the time and it leads to uh, a related thing which is all the gear but no idea <laughs> you know you have all the stuff but you don't really know what to do with it we can do that in golf we can do that in the church and many people feel they have to do that in the church they feel that if they're going to belong they need to fit in with the crowd they've got to have the right language the right dress or whatever else fake it till you make it is option 1 option 2 it's the opposite, I guess. It's grin and bear it and never return. That's the way, I don't do that exactly with golf. I, I return once a year, which is why it's so bad when I do go. But a lot of people feel this way, I think, in church as well. That's a that grin and bear it, you know, get through the hour and a half. It will be over uh, eventually. I think what both of these approaches have at the heart is the same underlying assumption which is that if I'm to fit in here, it'll be about what I bring to the table. It'll be about my own effort, my own uh, intellect maybe, or or my own behavior, my own performance, my own success. Something to do with me. That doesn't sound to me a lot like the picture of the Bible doesn't sound to me a lot like the God of the Bible either. And yet we relate so often uh, to golf as to God as if it is the case. But is it really the way it should be? And we've been in a series here at Trinity, and if you've missed this, I'll catch you up in just a line. The series has been called Jesus and the One. And we've been looking at encounters that Jesus has with individual people. And each of these encounters is different, but they all share uh, common themes. They're transformational for the people who Jesus meets. That's probably the main theme. But I've been struck as I've been uh, teaching some of these and listening to others teach them, just primarily by the kind of people who are attracted to Jesus. Because they're not the kind of people you expect on the first tier of the golf club. And often they're not the kind of people you expect in the seats of a church either. Often they're very openly Desperate people. People who are from the margins of society. Not people who are from the centre. Not people with power. People who are empowered, but people who are powerless. And Jesus attracts those people to himself again and again and again. And the second thing is the way that he treats, offers dignity, and ministers to those people is astounding. Never once does Jesus meet somebody who is openly seeking him with anything but grace and mercy. It is astonishing. If you've never read any of these stories, I encourage you to read one of the Gospels. Start with Mark, it's shortest. (laughs) Why is Jesus like this? Because Jesus Jesus is like this, because Jesus has come to reveal the true nature of God. He has come to not only reveal, but to embody the true nature of God, not in a sort of, fake it till you make it, all the gear, no idea way, but in a sort of universal, eternal connection to God way. See, Jesus is so closely connected to God because he is himself God, the son of the father, that he can resemble image, display God perfectly to all those who he comes to meet. This is what Jesus does for us. He embodies what Christians call the gospel, the good news, that God's love is available to every person, not on the basis of their own performance or their own perfection, but on the basis of Jesus' perfect performance on their behalf. That God's love is freely available, irrespective of background, irrespective of race, of creed, of any other thing that God's love is available. Jesus shows us a God who desires, above all things, connection with his creation. Jesus longs for connection with you and I, and will never control you. will never control me or you. This is a God who generously gives. You've heard, if you've watched American football, you've seen it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, that he was generous, that he gave his only son to each of us. However, many of us, particularly, I think especially those of us who have been around the church for a while, can forget this. We can forget that this is the nature of God, the God that Jesus reveals and embodies. We can forget that temporarily or otherwise. And in our scripture today, we meet Jesus seeking to establish that principle again and seeking to establish it to his own people first, to his disciples, his followers. He has to rebuke along the way. Let's just read. Let's see that together. If you've got a Bible, do open it. It's going to be on the screens as well. And if you have one of your own Bibles that glows, that's okay too. Here's what we read. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for Him to place His hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to the children and to called the children to Him. Excuse me, and said, "Let the little children come to Me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you." anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So Jesus here is on his journey to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem where he will eventually die and be raised from the dead. This is what we celebrate at Easter. And he's on the way there with his disciples. And we're in here in Luke chapter 18. You don't need to see it for yourself, but we're in a little teaching moment. And Jesus is teaching his disciples through various different means what it means and how exactly they can experience the life of the kingdom of God. That is how they can experience God's good future today in the present. The life of God's kingdom, peace, joy, perfect communion with God, a sense of all being right. I think ultimately what we're all striving for, what we're all yearning for, the kingdom of God in our lives. Jesus is saying to the different disciples and different people in different ways, this is how you experience it. And, and this uh, story of Jesus with children appears right at the heart of this. So whatever else this is about, it is about what it means to enter into God's good future, to experience God's perfect life today. And who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want more peace who wouldn't want more joy? Who wouldn't want a greater sense of connection with the one who created you? Who wouldn't want that? That's what's at stake here. So what we're about to read is directly connected with this concern. Now what we read is this, people were also bringing babies to him. Now this word babies in the original language is brephos. It actually a word is primarily a word that used to refer to um, babies in utero. So the suggestion here at least is that people are coming uh, to have their unborn babies blessed by Jesus. But actually the word in later usage also includes the idea of very small children. So you have babies, unborn and born probably, being brought to Jesus for him to, as it says here, place his hands on them. This is a picture of blessing, placing uh, his hands on them to bless them. And of course, you would want this, wouldn't you? At any time, uh, any mother or father would want their child to be blessed, but particularly in a culture like this where infant mortality rates are so high, if somebody like Jesus is in the neighbourhood, you want to see him. You want to have your baby blessed by him. Now, when the, what's fascinating, the dissonance, the, um, the tension in the text comes here with the disciples look at this when the disciples saw this they rebuked them and you're like what is going on how possibly could the disciples think that an appropriate thing uh, here in this situation would be to rebuke those who are bringing babies to Jesus why is it they do this well perhaps it's because Jesus is in a hurry or they think he is by the way Jesus is never in a hurry you notice that somebody once said to me why didn't Jesus ride a donkey or a horse he could have got around so much quicker I think walking was part of the point. It was part of the point of the story. When the disciples saw this or rebuked them, maybe they think that Jesus is in a rush. He's got to get to Jerusalem. And the man of God must not be. He must not be interrupted by trifling matters such as children. In any case, if that is the case, they completely misread the story. But I think there's something deeper going on here. And that is the place of children in this society. The first century. You've got to know that in the first century in pagan culture, so in Roman culture, if you didn't want or like your child, it was perfectly acceptable, at least it was the common practice, to take your child somewhere and leave it outside, to expose it. And often the children to, uh, to whom this happened would die. If not, sometimes they'd be taken and they'd be raised for prostitution. Children in this culture did not have the same status that they have today. And it may be that the disciples, but by the way, the church, the early church became famous because it used to go and collect these children and raise them. Extraordinary. The disciples perhaps have imbibed, they've sucked in some of this culture. And they think that children don't matter. Surely the kingdom of God belongs to the rich and the powerful and the famous, right? Surely the kingdom of God works with the same rules as the golf club. is politics surely the kingdom of God is like the kingdom of the world and Jesus says no what does Jesus do he rebukes the rebukers what do we read but Jesus called the children to him and said let the little children come to me it's a different word here for little children uh, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Look at this. This is really significant. Jesus' response is so different to the disciples. It's so different. It is radically at odds, it is completely diametrically opposed. It couldn't be any more different. Let them come to me. And he goes further. Do not hinder them, don't get in their way. Why? Get this, this is massively powerful. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. What Jesus is saying is, these children are not possessions. They're proprietors. They are owners. They own the kingdom of God. That is an incredibly powerful statement. See how Jesus just turns the cultural expectation on its head. These young ones are not of no value. They are of ultimate value because the kingdom of God belongs to them. Belongs to them. Jesus goes on. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Takes the teaching and just is driving, driving it home. Here, Jesus is saying something even more powerful that these children are not a trouble, they're a template. Jesus is saying, These guys aren't a nuisance. You've got to understand not only are they welcome, not only do they own, do they possess, does the kingdom of God belong to them? In other words, it is, is it available to them all the time? Not only that, But more still, if you want to enter adults, disciples, anyone who's hearing, disciples, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, there's only one way in. Like a child. Now, what typically happens here in sermons like this is we insert our favourite virtue. Our favourite childlike virtue. Oh, I love little Johnny. He's so cheeky. To come into the kingdom of God, you've got to be a little bit cheeky. You know, or I love, it. you know, I love it. He's, he's so kind, little Jimmy, so kind. And maybe that's what Jesus is saying. I don't think that's the point. I don't think it's necessarily about a particular virtue that children possess as opposed to uh, something that adults have. The point is, is that children come just as they are. Children just come as they are. They don't seek to earn their way. They haven't learned yet the way of the world. They don't know that uh, that's how you get along in the world. If a child turned up to the first tee of a golf club, well, they may hit the ball, they may pick the ball up, they may swallow the ball. Uh, (laughs) They may turn up with their clothes on in the right way, but by the first tee, they would be wearing probably different clothes or the same clothes backwards or something else. This is how children work. And Jesus is saying, You've got to become like these children if you want to experience the kingdom of God. Discipleship, therefore following Jesus, being like Jesus, becoming part of this whole church deal, whatever you want to call it, is not so much about learning as it is about unlearning. I love what Bono says. I don't know if you picked this up yesterday. Bono's voice ran out in Berlin. Uh, So he only got through a couple of songs. I love you too. But Bono says this in one of his songs, if you want to kiss the sky, you better learn how to kneel. You know, humility is right at the heart of this. And I'm not saying all children are humble by any means. Uh, Yeah, I won't go into that. (laughs) Too many personal examples. But the point, the key point in this whole piece is one word. Here's what we read Jesus saying truly I tell you anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child and never enter it the point is you can't grasp the kingdom you can't go out and get it you can't earn it you can't achieve for it you can't perform for it there's only one way to have the kingdom of God in your life and it's to receive it with open hands I don't know if you've ever seen a child at Christmas, but they get receiving. They get receiving gifts. Church, we have to become like little children if we're gonna experience the kingdom of God. And that means that we leave our intellect, our achievements, our smarts, our performance at the door. And we come humbly and saying, Jesus, what would you give me? What would you have for me today? To put it another way, we need to abandon to receive. Abandon our own attempts to establish ourselves in our own strength in order that we might receive something from Jesus. And what we see very clearly in this text is that Jesus will not withhold a blessing. Jesus will never withhold a blessing. For those who come to him humbly as they are, just as they are, there is no other way, who trust that God is a good father, Who wants to give good gifts? Good gifts will be given. So come as you are today. Come as you are, just as you are. Come no other way. There is no other way to approach.